Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. It's Monday, December 9th. We've got bowls. We've got a playoff. We've got the Power 5 coaching carousel has come to a little bit of a halt. Looks like we're putting the final pieces of the puzzle in place. Uh, Still a few Power 5 jobs open, but uh, we will get to that. Tom Fernelli is going to have some bowl rankings. We'll get a preview of that. You can see the full list, 3,000 words, previewing the matchups for the bowls, ranked based on lovability on cbsports.com uh joined barton simmons tom fernelli as i mentioned gentlemen did selection sunday treat y'all well i i I was honestly uh pretty disengaged from selection sunday wasn't paying wasn't paying close attention to it i wasn't on duty i didn't have any hq responsibilities i was uh I, i was i was doing like dad stuff all day that's good for you tom I felt like they they could have dragged it out longer. Listen, I was live blogging from eleven a.m. to six. I think that they did a fine job of dragging it out. I, I think they could have gone longer. I feel like <laughs> you know, why not just announce one bowl game an hour? Just just let it go, just yeah, one at you're a time. Live blogging from eleven to six. Yes. Oh man, I feel kind of guilty having just said. What my disengaged? <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry listen. about that. Nah, listen. Every, everybody catches. Uh, everybody catches a duty like that from time to time, and so uh, I've, I've is done that it. How long is that? Were they announcing bowls all day like that? Yes. Oh God. That yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. I mean, between between the top four announcement and just like the New Year's Six bowls was like what three hours? Yep. From twelve yeah. twenty to three fifteen, all we had to talk about was the semifinals. <laughs> Oh man, I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> hey, sounds- it's a television event, right? Like I was, uh, you know, woke up um, this morning and Parker was watching. She was just downstairs eating breakfast. TV was on, and the the Golden Globe nominations were being done. I was like, oh, this kind of feels like the college football playoff. <laughs> just kind of it's the same thing uh right so we do we've got our playoff it's going to be in the peach bowl we'll be having lsu and oklahoma number one seed does go to lsu after they get that win out in the fiesta bowl we will have number two ohio state uh, against number three clemson a little bit obviously tons more at, here on the podcast as we get closer to the game locks for the game previews deep dives uh, and also, uh, as well as sort of, we'll see who got the number one spot in Tom's bowl rankings here in a little bit. But I, I want to start with some of the the coaching news because it really, uh, what what is the reaction to Arkansas? The a length, not a lengthy search, but Chad Morris was fired, I guess, a week or two after Willie Taggart was. So this job has been open for a while. There were a couple names that have been floated out there, and you know we tried to connect some dots together. But as it ends up with uh, Georgia offensive line coach Sam Pittman, I I kind of think that there's a a way to you know for us to look at Sam Pittman, what he did when he was an assistant at Arkansas, what he's done in the SEC, and, and project what we think Arkansas can be. But first, I just does does this mean that? Arkansas did not get any of its first X number of hires. Is is that the a proper reading of this situation? 
Oh God, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be I mean, mean about it, but that's that's kind of what this looks like. Yeah, no, I mean, I, this is completely separate from Sam Pittman and his possible ability to do the job and win there. But you didn't fire Chad Morris in the middle of his second season to hire Sam Pittman and. You're, you can't pretend that's what you had in mind all along. I mean, I thought it was pretty clear. They wanted Lane Kiffin, and then they got Spur, and Lane Kiffin ends up at Old Miss, and then it's Pittman, like, less than 24 hours later. Yeah, I think if if um, if Mike Norvell hadn't gotten Florida State, I think Ole Miss would have Norvell, and Arkansas would have Kiffin. But I think it's pretty clear Kiffin chose Ole Miss over Arkansas. And I, I think... I mean, it was a little bit of a seemed a little amateurish of a search. Like there was private jets going to Boca to meet <laughs> right. with Kiffin, and and there was and they were actually in Boca to meet with Kiffin. Like there was there was no uh, misdirection. There was no like the names that were being floated seemed to be the names that were there. Like they were just and 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 Sam Pittman very early on was a kind of a throw in like, Oh, Sam Pittman's interested. Uh, that's, you know, good for him kind of thing. And, and then when they missed on Kiffin, golly, I mean, if they, if for a minute there, it sounded like they, they may just elevate their interim Barry Looney jr, which that would have not gone over. Well, you can spin the Sam Pittman thing. So no, I, I think this was not a successful coaching search. That said, this could absolutely be a successful coaching hire. Right, which is why I wanted to, you know, take take the next step and separate that from what is just an overwhelming amount of excitement for the Sam Pittman era at Arkansas on just a me being a fan of football and talking about it. Uh, do you guys mind if we just? I, I need need y'all's help. It's going to take about maybe fifty seconds. Because we're, we really got to figure out which one of these uh, we are going to upload as a sounder for the future. Th- this is all uh, Sam Pittman. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Sam, do you want the Arkansas job? <laughs> yes, <sir>. All right. <laughs> those uh, were great. Some some of those were like were, were yells, and some of those were more like sing songy. Kind of, <laughs> you kind of inserted a little bit of uh, of uh, I don't know rhythm into them. That's great. A little bit of melody. Uh, a little so, melody. Yeah, yeah. So he gets. He gets really wide-eyed when he does this, and and I am just I do not follow Sam Pittman on social media, but Barton, I'm I'm guessing he does that to as his little celebration of a commitment, right? Yeah, yeah. yes, he is. He has some un, like he'll, he'll send out videos with some unique um, energy and uh, around some commitments, which is always fun. So we know that Sam Pittman has been coaching him up in the trenches for years and he goes out and he recruits the big boys and he's got great relationships at all the places where the boys are big so 
And, as you know, I mentioned this uh, in the first part. He was at Arkansas from 2013 to 2015. Um, they tur- turned out some NFL offensive linemen there. There, There is that sort of, um, you know, you bring Sam Pittman to Arkansas, you are committing to an identity. And as we think about, as we talked about the Arkansas job and what it take, might take to be successful, committing to that kind of identity, man, like Barton, I, I am excited also, in addition for just the, the character and the personality that is going to be thrust into the spotlight, I am excited for Arkansas to turn into a, a little bit of a smash mouth team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, um, I mean, we never know how these coaching hires will go. We never, we, you know, there's, we're all guessing um, because personalities, different personalities, different circumstances, uh, you just, it, you know, the, the worst hires could be the best and vice versa. Um, uh, but I, I, there's a real optimism to, for me in this hire. And part of it is because of what he was, you know, what he did when he was actually at Arkansas. Um, you know, I, I was under the impression that as it was going on, that Brett Bielema was really fashioning Arkansas into this, you know, big slobber knocker, uh, the linemen are the stars kind of team. And it seemed like he was. And then Sam Pittman left and Jim Chaney left and Dan Enos was hired as the offensive coordinator and Brandon Allen started throwing it around 40 times a game and they started getting sacked five times a game. And all of a sudden, you know, you look back and you realize it really wasn't Brett Bielema that was driving that. It was Sam Pittman. And everywhere Sam Pittman's gone over the – I mean, you know, Arkansas, Georgia, uh, I mean, they've been putting together – elite offensive line units uh and he recruited really well with that offensive line there uh it's the type of place like you you, you know it might be tough to get the the five-star skill guys to arkansas the the running back the wide receiver whatever but you can spin arkansas you can sell arkansas as this haven for beef you just you know come to Arkansas. What do they call it? the catfish holes at the the restaurant there? Uh, that just that they, they, I mean they did it. They did it the first time with Sam Pittman. So I think he'll be able to recruit because he has that in him. I think he's going to be able to have an identity, which is something that Arkansas has been missing. Um, I think given the staffs that he's worked at, uh, you know North Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, Georgia. Um, He's going to be able to, I think, hire a coaching staff that has some some pretty good talent on it. Um, so, you, I mean, look, we don't know, but I, I think that there's reason to be optimistic with this hire, and and players love him. You know, this is the type of guy that all the former players are tweeting about how excited they are that he's getting the job. The the guys at Arkansas on the current roster that are familiar with them are excited about it. So, th- this is for a plan D or whatever he is, I think this could actually work out. I'm going to refer to Arkansas as a beef haven from now on. Yeah, the beef haven. <laughs> That's going to be the hashtag for Arkansas football. For the, well, well, during the Pittman era, it's going to be, you know, beef haven. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what Barton said. There's This is one of those situations where it's hard to know for sure because, you know, we haven't seen him do it, but that's the case with a lot of coaches. And, you know, Pittman has never been a coordinator, but we've seen. Let's look at, you know, 
LSU right now and Clemson. Dabo and Ed Orgeron, they weren't, you know, coordinators working their way up. They they were recruiting guys who coached positions and took over the programs and surrounded themselves with good coaches. And I think that's what's going to come down to with Pittman is what kind of staff is he able to put together at Arkansas will determine whether or not this is going to work. And also, is he going to get the time? Because you can't help but believe one of the reasons that this job wasn't super attractive and Pittman maybe was a plan D was because coaches are looking at it like, well, they pulled the plug on Morris awful quick. How do I know I'm going to get the time to do it? Whereas at least I feel like Pittman is somebody who they could give time to because, you know, he's experienced there. He's shown with what he was able to do with the offensive lines while he was there that things can be headed in the right direction and he could put that stuff t- together. So hopefully he gets time because this, I don't, Pittman doesn't strike me as somebody who's going to be able to come in and all of a sudden quickly turn this thing around and fix it. And Hey, look, Arkansas's, you know, going to a bowl game next year. They're, they're pulling off a couple wins in the sec West surprises of people are really looking up really quickly. I think this is, this is something where he's going to need two or three years to really get a foundation in place because the offensive line, which is his specialty that's not something you just fix right away. That's something that takes time. So I, I hope he gets it. I think it could work. And it's just, you know, it's it's not an exciting hire, but it doesn't mean it's a bad hire. Hey, catfish sandwiches at midnight. We'll put the pounds on those boys one way or the Beef other. Haven. Beef haven. So the, the other side of this, which I think is really interesting now. So uh, Kirby Smart. So he has lost his offensive coordinator from last year to Tennessee and Jim Chaney. James Coley is the offensive coordinator this year and wasn't, I don't know, didn't the offense wasn't great. Um, the the identity of this Georgia team has been those massive uh, big body hog mollies that are just beating people up up front. And now Sam Pittman leaves. And, and I mean, he, he is recruiting – offensive line better than anyone in the country like they make no mistake like sam Pittman right now is the premier offensive line recruiter and and so how does georgia replace sam Pittman as it's also trying to fix its offense in general um or or at least ramp up its offense in general um i mean kirby smart is like that's why this this thing you know heavy as the head that wears the crown. Like this thing is tough. That's why Nick Saban is is currently still kind of the goat because this happens to Nick Saban every year. When you're really good, your staff gets picked over every year, unless you're Clemson. Uh, and and so now Kirby's got to got to deal with some of these challenges, and this is a really tough one to lose. And and I would imagine I mean, it'll be really interesting to see if Sam Pittman can, you know. Flip some Work dudes. On, yeah, flip some guys. Yeah. I, mean, I can't imagine he's going to be uh, too deferential to Kirby. <laughs> you know, he's <laughs> these dudes are pretty competitive. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, let let me uh, see a text message from Sam Pittman to a Georgia commit that says, "You know what, man? Just stay stay where you are. You know, don't don't come with me to Arkansas. You said yes to Georgia first. The number three offensive tackle in the country." Uh, with uh, after the news went down, tweeted his name's Tate Ratledge. He's out of Rome, Georgia. He tweeted, "I will not be answering questions on my current situation. This will stay between me and my family for now. Thank you." Look, and that might mean nothing. That might mean he is coming back to Georgia. He just doesn't want to deal with the media. I'm not implying anything, except for the fact that you know he could have easily said, 
I'm committed to Georgia no matter what. Uh, no questions, please. I think my point in that is like these offensive linemen, regardless of where they come from, like they a big reason why they chose Georgia was Sam Pittman, and it's going to be a big reason why offensive linemen chose, chose Arkansas moving forward. One last thing on the Georgia side, I Georgia, we have acknowledged. Oh man, here we go, trashing Georgia again. Somebody, <laughs> somebody set the uh, set the clock back. It has been this many minutes since the Cover Three podcast uh, expressed <laughs> no, displeasure with don't, Georgia. Don't don't uh, don't hammer home that that false uh, misconception that we are Georgia hammers. Uh, but number five and like the committee chair said that there was. Uh, I mean, he might have just been saying it to create good television. But talking about, you know, even leaving Georgia at number four, be like, why would you move Georgia down? I mean, they, they lost to a really, really good LSU team. But uh, G- Georgia's finished in the number five position, or at least the top-ranked SEC team outside of the playoff each of the last two years. I thought last year's team was uh, markedly a little bit more complete than this year's team. And I think that this year's team, as they now have to – uh, you know, go and, and sort of reimagine the offense. I am curious if, I mean, obviously, Jake Fromm's future is going to play a big role in this, but I'm curious if Kirby would entertain the idea of opening things up and of taking George in the other direction and whether that would even be something that, whether that's something that's in Kirby's DNA, whether he's willing to step outside of that, uh, class because we called him the boa constrictor we compared him to the old alabama teams you know alabama's new alabama georgia's old alabama and i think that there is an opportunity and whether or not it would be a good or bad decision kind of depends on the execution but i do think that there's an opportunity right now if kirby smart's looking in at lsu and if he's looking at alabama and if he's trying to think about closing the gap so that georgia doesn't continue to be this team that is right on the edge of the playoff or so close to it i wonder if he decides um you know whether that involves james cole it probably can involve james coley there's nothing i don't have any uh, schematic assignments for james coley in terms of what i think uh, he believes an offense should be i wonder if georgia will open it up I think there's going to be some changes. I mean, there almost has to be, right? Well, did you guys see um, one one potential change uh, got scooped up? Um, Mike Bobo, the to South Carolina. Carolina State head coach, the former Georgia offensive coordinator, uh, has been scooped up by South Carolina as Will Muschamp's offensive coordinator. Which is all. I think it's very interesting. Like it's. I mean, all these guys know each other. All these guys have worked together in the past. Um, or a lot of them have anyways. And, and, uh, it's, it feels like that feels, can you, like, can you imagine if Georgia had hired Mike Bobo and just full on, just run it back. Mark Richt. Like, I mean, it's, this, this feels all very, uh, not exactly forward thinking. And I guess maybe will Muschamp, and not to get sidetracked, I guess on the South Carolina thing, but I guess will Muschamp ain't exactly forward thinking. And he and and you know what? Maybe he's tried forward thinking with um, Kurt Roper. Or I don't I don't know who the forward thinking hire was at offensive coordinator, but he hasn't made a strong offensive coordinator hire in his career. Um, so maybe maybe this is the right play. But regardless, 
um, it feels like just that little nook of coaches is still very much stuck in the early 2000s in terms of the way they want to win football games. Mm-hmm. They want to win them 24 to 17. Good defense. Against the good teams, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Um, all right, elsewhere in the SEC, on the other side of the battle line trophy rivalry, things are it is not official as we're recording it though i all indications are pointing to this being an announcement that's going to be made on monday uh eli drinkwitz the uh sun belt champion app state mountaineers he led app state to another sun belt championship double digit win season and he's gone so drinkwitz at missouri also brings about some of the same questions in terms of the Missouri search and, and where they wanted to go. Like Tom, do you, I, do you look at the Missouri job in the same way that you looked at maybe the Arkansas job or how would you like, what were some of the takeaways as, as things unfurled on that side? Because it seemed to Barton's point earlier that we were getting more, uh, more juicy tidbits and more, and more crumbs to follow in terms of trying to figure out what's going on with the Razorback search I think, you know, Barry Odom gets fired after the regular season finale. It's a, a little bit of a sudden move, not overwhelmingly surprising, but um, they, they were six and six. They weren't going to be in the bowl game, but that was because of NCAA sanctions. Now you're bringing on uh, a coach who just had his first ever year as a head coach. He was the offensive coordinator at NC State prior to that and throwing him into the SEC. I think that Missouri. And he's thirty-six years old. And he's thirty-six. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, Tom, what do you make of this? Yeah, there are members of this podcast who are older than him. Uh, Is it that just both of y'all? Um, are you younger than thirty-six, Chip? I am. Chip's like seventeen. Don't let the gray hair fool you. <laughs> Good for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, man. <laughs> Us old guys over here. I uh, know. Ah. Uh, I mean, I thought this Missouri coaching search was a little kind of public, too, in that we talked about it a little bit on Saturday where, you know, Jim Sturck had a list of candidates who I thought were fine, solid candidates, but it just kind of felt like he was starting with, you know, plan B instead of there was no like home run, let's go get this guy kind of plan A and that didn't like Missouri's board of trustees or whatever they might call it at Missouri was like kind of like, no, no, you need to you need to search for bigger names. Like there was actual back and forth between, between the people who are just supposed to, you know, rubber stamp the hiring and the people who are in charge of making the hire saying, no, no, this dream bigger. We're Mizzou. So the drink wits thing kind of came out of nowhere. I think that as far as the job of Mizzou, I, I think they're on a similar plane. Like with Arkansas, it's just, I think there's an easier path in the East than there ever will be in the West, at least in this current era. So in that way, I think Missouri is somewhat of a more attractive job in a couple ways. But as far as the hire, I mean, Drinkwitz has been considered like you've, you've heard his name since, you know, before he took the NC state job. Cause you know, like we said, he's only 36. He's the young up and comer. He's a lot of coaches have a lot of good things to say about his offenses and what he does. He came out of the high school ranks with Gus Malzahn. But when you look at his resume, he spent two years at Auburn quality control. Then he spent two years at Arkansas state. He spent two years at Boise state, spent three years at NC state, spent one year at app state. And now he's the head coach at Mizzou. So it's like on the one hand, he's a fast riser. So there's gotta be something to it. On the other hand, 
I don't know how much credit to give him for Appalachian State. So if you're hiring him off of what he did at Appalachian State, I think that's very misguided because that was a program that was very much put in place by Scott Satterfield, who'd been there for what, like six years, five years? And had been, uh, a f- I think, a former player and offensive coordinator on that staff, too. Yeah, that that would... That- Appalachian State team that won the Sun Belt this year, and it's you know Satterfield or Drinkwitz deserves credit because he was the head coach. But I feel like that team we saw this year was a Scott Satterfield team more than it was a Drink team. So I think if you're hiring him based off of what you think he is offensively and what you've heard and what his plan is, fine. But if you're hiring him just based off of winning the Sun Belt, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So. I think this could work. I think that his offense is, I mean, I think if we just look at NC State as an example, the three years he was at NC State, the offense was pretty good. This year, NC State's offense, and it was more than just play calling. You know, they, they had injuries at quarterback. They just had inconsistency. Not very good. So I think at the very least, we're going to see Missouri's offense take a step forward. It's just can Drinkwitz lead a program and an SEC program at that in his first real shot at doing so? That's not going to be, you know, simple, and that's going to be what's going to take a few years to find out. Yeah, I mean, this is <clears throat> as all. And look, I, I, you know, Drinkwitz is a is an impressive guy when he talks. He's he is he clearly knows offense. He's a football guy. He's, um, I mean, as in in all these, uh, you know, we're not in these interviews, we're not in these team meetings. Um, but Sounds he, like this guy he, crushes interviews. Yeah, right. Yeah. But he he strikes me as a as a legitimately really good up and coming coach. But the, the you really but like Tom said, like you have to sort of make some assumptions and and use some real I think like nuance in terms of how you evaluate him because you can't just look at his record and say uh great hire because he, the, he that was that was Satterfield's team and this is year one as a head coach. And so he's got a lot in front of him, but I, I think that there is still reason to be optimistic, but in some ways he's more of a, of a um, unknown than even Sam Pittman. Um, so, you know, that's, that's an interesting hire for Missouri. I, I thought the Missouri candidates list that was leaked out, that was so unsatisfactory for the Missouri board and, and all that. Like, it's funny, like it was, any one of those guys probably would have been a fine hire if they were sort of the third. If that's if if any one of those guys was like third on the list, and Argon and Missouri gets to him and then hires him, and then you know, good, great hire. Uh, but that it was a list of third third options, I think, is what made it sort of an underwhelming list. So uh, I, I actually think Drinkwitz is a is a probably a more palatable higher than a lot of the names that have been floating around, like the Skip Holtzes and Jeff Monkins and guys like that. I, I would like to break news that Drinkwitz is going to be official soon. You heard it here first in the Cover 3 podcast. <laughs> Live. Because Mizzou football account just tweeted a video of their AD getting on a plane. Uh, was it the Mizzou football where the L is replaced by two capital I's introducing <laughs> a bad Photoshop of Jim McElwain? <laughs> no, 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 no. It was the one with the blue check mark and Good. the actual video of their athletic director getting on a private plane. <laughs> Always look for the blue check mark. 
always don't get duped don't get got i'll say this about drink from uh like an offensive perspective and yes if you're it's possible if you're a missouri fan that watching that missouri offense this year just has you like please just anybody with an offensive uh focus anything to be able to generate some sparks for this group because uh it is it's been a, a, a struggle to watch that missouri team try an offense now, uh, you know, changing quarterback might do some of that, but I do think that if you're looking at Eli Drinkwitz from his history, I will turn fans, Missouri fans who want to get excited, go watch the 2017 NC State team and maybe even the year before that because one of the things that he did really, really well at NC State, um, especially in those two seasons, he had Jalen Samuels and Naheem Hines, who now we know are NFL talents. And, you know, we'll give some credit for development. But he framed basically the entire NC State offense around, all right, I've got these two players that are unique. I am going to figure out all these different ways to put them in an open space and allow them to go and be unique. Now, you know, every coach says they want to do things like that, but, you know, let Missouri get someone of that Jalen Samuels, Naheem Hines caliber, and you will absolutely see uh, a, a big change in the amount of explosive plays and a big change in uh, in how Missouri is able to move the football because in the 17 season, they were both averaging about like 200 all-purpose yards per game, and it was rushing, it was receiving, they were you know doing all kinds of different uh, things within the framework of the offense to get the ball to those two players and then, you know, he leaves. Last year, it was more based around Kelvin Harmon and the wide receivers, but he leaves and NC State lost its identity. They just philosophically looked a little bit confused. And you mentioned the quarterback issues, Tom, but I, I thought that the fact that Drinkwitz sort of, he, he had his little cookbook, you know, and he was like, this is, this, these are the different ways that we are going to be able to get these skill position players uh, in a position to be successful. And so if you, if you want to feel excited about the Missouri offense under Eli Drinkwitz, watch the 2017 Wolfpack and hope that he's able to recruit uh, some, some real game changers at the skill position player. Let's see. Hey guys, guess what? What? College football bowl season is upon us, and we've got a new way for you to up the action in our bowl challenge. It's your free chance to compete all postseason for $5,000. All you need to do is pick games against the spread, and you could walk away with a big five grand in cash. You can even get your friends, family, and coworkers involved too by adding a buddy group with its own private scores and standings. Visit cbssports.com bowl or download the CBS Sports app now to join the action and get your chance to win $5,000. Yes, sir! <laughs> the- I'm just trying to envision Pittman doing that same voice but saying Sui. Oh, it's... Oh, oh you'll hear it. He's going to call the hogs. Yeah, we're going to get plenty of opportunity to get that sound bite too. You know, yeah, you know what? <laughs> That's yeah, I think the answer to the early question is the the best sound bite from Pittman is yet to come. Coming up on the other side, Tom Fernelli's definitive scientific ranking of every single bowl game. Next. There's nothing This. Oh, what a goal! 
Champions League is back at its new home on CBS All Access. Sensational! Stream every match of the world's most prestigious tournament live. That's incredible! The UEFA Champions League group stage kicks off Tuesday on CBS All Access. There's nothing like it. Two majors down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Tom, you you poured yourself into a, a labor of love. Uh, you you think that you are the biggest fan of bowl season? You are not, listener. You are you are dedicated to college football. That's why you're here listening to the Cover Three podcast. But Tom Fernelli, he ranks every single bowl game, every single one of them, before and after. So we uh we get we get a nice look and a snapshot at the bowl season as in its entirety. He watches every single game, and we will have picks and locks. And previews coming up uh, later in the month as we get a little bit closer to the start of the bowl season. But for now, uh, we've just got a general outlook of all the different games. Tom, as you uh, as you sorted through all the different bowl rankings, we'll, we'll find some ways to highlight a couple of your favorites. But any general overall feelings about the season as uh, as we look ahead? Uh, you know, this year, like normally when I when I rank games, there's there are some smaller games that tend to work their way up into like the top 10 and sometimes the top five. But this year I felt like as I was going through, this is it's kind of a cookie cutter season as far as the bold matchups go where the, I, I feel like the best matchups are the ones you expect there. There are a couple, maybe like the Liberty bowl, I think Navy and Kansas state I have in my top 10. Maybe that's one that, you know, it might surprise some people for me to see that, but that's just kind of a brand style. Yeah. Matchup <laughs> kind of game. That's, interesting to me in that you know navy runs an option offense kansas state runs an option offense that isn't an option offense but it's pretty much you know an option offense so that's going to be a quick low scoring brand type of game uh the las vegas bowl i think is very interesting simply because of the obvious storylines of chris peterson coaching his final game that's the yeah the las vegas bowl is boise state and washington yeah uh but other than that, I mean, it's like I feel like a lot of the group of five bowls got kind of eh. There's not a ton of great matchups, and some of it's affected by you know, like Eli Drinkwitz leaving for Missouri or Lane Kiffin leaving for Arkansas. We're seeing since with with so many coaching changes with like the top programs in the group of five, it kind of puts a damper on their games. Like that, who's I got Memphis and uh, Penn State and the Cotton Bowl that that was going to be a very exciting game. And I still think it could be an exciting game. It's in my top 10, but with Mike Norvell gone, is he going to coach in the game? Is, you know, is it just, is it going to be somebody else? Is Memphis going to look, you know, how well prepared will they be if Norvell is kind of working on Florida state and Memphis at the same time? What coachings, what coaches is he bringing from Memphis to Florida state with him? How 
dedicated they are they going to be to the game so there are a lot of wild cards but i mean if you look at the top of the list it's it's not exactly surprised i got the fiesta bowl at number one because duh it's it's the two best teams in the country in my estimation playing each other the peach bowl is at number two because it's a semi and it's you know i I talked about this on HQ yesterday while Barton was just having a Sunday with the family. <laughs> and I, 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 the thing about Oklahoma to me is that we're, we're so writing it off so quickly and for obvious reasons, because as the, th- the three of us have talked about all year, there's a clear delineation between the top three teams and everybody else in the country. But at the same time, I also feel like Oklahoma has been its own worst enemy for a lot of the season with like the turnovers and it's done more to keep its opponents in games than its opponents have. And I just feel like if we get a good Oklahoma, a clean Oklahoma game with, you know, they give them a month or a few weeks to prepare for it. If we get Oklahoma at its best, this is a game that could be a lot more interesting than I think a lot of people want to assume it's going to be. So that's at number two. The Rose Bowl I have at number three because it's the freaking Rose Bowl. What, what I mean, it's Oregon, Wisconsin. Oregon, Wisconsin's fun. Yeah, and it's also the Rose Bowl. The Sugar Bowl I have in the top five. I feel like that could be interesting, but it could also be a situation like we saw when Georgia played Texas. Citrus Bowl is a huge brand matchup where – you don't know which Alabama player is going to play, but it's still Alabama-Michigan, two of the you know most heralded programs in college football history, who have only played. This will only be the fifth time they've ever played. I know. So and they did uh, a Cowboys classic opening matchup in like sixteen, maybe. 16 or, yeah, it was. No, it was Brady Hoke who was coaching, wasn't it? Oh, 12. It was the 2012 yeah. Cowboys Classic kickoff. Um, and Alabama won that like 44 to 41 to 14. And then they hadn't played before that since the end of the 99 season in the 2000 Orange Bowl. Yeah, it's funny because they've only played like four times and they've all come in like the last 30 years. So it's like there was like a whole 70 year history before they were playing and they never went against each other in a bowl game. They never went, you know, and obviously they weren't scheduling non conference like that back then. And then another one of my top 10 games is the Narrative Bowl. What's the Narrative Bowl? It's the Outback Bowl between Auburn and Minnesota because no matter what happens in the game, either Auburn is going to win and everybody will say, see, I told you Minnesota sucked all along. Or Minnesota will win, and everybody will say it's because Auburn didn't care about the game. <laughs> so we already know what the response to that game is going to be. But I also think that could be a very fun matchup. So yeah, it's there's 39 bowls. I could have ranked the Red Box Bowl a lot higher than I did, but I have too much journalistic integrity to sully something as important as the bowl ranking. So I left that at 33rd. Barton, have you gotten your hands on the uh, the the, pre- the bowl schedule? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now in real time, digesting the bowl schedule. Uh, I think, I mean, the the one that I'm most interested in is the citrus because somehow, even as Michigan gets a shot at mighty Alabama, it will be a an Alabama team with a bunch of guys probably skipping the bowl game who doesn't want to be there, who's disappointed they're not in the playoffs, and so somehow even as Michigan gets to take its shot at mighty Alabama, the pressure will be shifted towards Michigan to beat an Alabama team that didn't care to be there. Like it's like Jim Harbaugh can't win for losing. Yeah, exactly. Even if Michigan knocks off Alabama, it's not going to (laughs) count. Right. Because SEC losses in bowl games that aren't playoff games don't count. 
<laughs> I, I look forward to Talia Tagovailoa throwing for 300 yards in this game. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I I think that as you're as you're looking across, I was very like Tom mentioned. You've got a couple of spots where uh, the coaching changes maybe uh maybe alter a little bit of um what you're thinking in terms of what the matchup is going to be like i i think that florida virginia is going to have an over under a 43 and i will be taking the under i'll be taking florida <laughs> you think florida wins that game like 28 to 3 i think i mean it could i just i i look at you know, it's the Virginia. The thing with Virginia all year long for me, when it comes to picking Virginia games, has been what's the defensive front it's facing because I feel like its offensive line is its biggest weakness and not a great matchup for Virginia as far as defensive fronts that it'll be facing in this game. Does Clay Helton already start the hot seat conversation if he loses to Iowa? I'd say, I'd say yeah. I'd say we get a jump on that. Clay Helton coaching for his job in the Holiday Bowl. <laughs> against the Iowa Hawkeyes. That's what everybody wanted. Um, scanning it. I'll tell you what. I was, for the Auburn-Minnesota Narrative Bowl, I would say that the the motivating factor, I'd be trying to go back to, to P.J. Fleck and his turn coal into diamonds. Uh, but after Auburn did filthy, nasty things to was Purdue, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know beware they did yeah, but <laughs> purdue doesn't purdue doesn't have the offensive line that minnesota has do you think i was i was even just thinking offensively i mean auburn what put 70 on the board yeah i i don't oh believe me i i think auburn can blow minnesota out it's just i feel like with pj fleck there's no way minnesota's not going to come fired up and prepared to play this game yeah that was a mo- but that was a motivation bowl last year like that there was a there was a line of thinking that Purdue was coming in there, big bad SEC uh, opportunity for Jeff Brom to make a big statement. Auburn, who that we're playing Purdue, who the hell cares? Uh, come in lazy and and uh, get get crept up on, and that ain't how that thing went. <laughs> and, and I could, I could see, I, I I'm I'm and just because like we'll see who plays and who doesn't play for Auburn, but if if all those defensive linemen play, uh, I could kind of see more of the Purdue side of things than the, you know, the, the Auburn gets, gets caught sleeping kind oh, of side of things. I, I had it locked up with the, um, Jeff Brom did not take Louisville. He's coming back. This Boilermakers team is going to be fired up to play an SEC opponent. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, I was all up on it. And then, uh, and things got out of control. I think that might've been when we were in South Florida for, uh, the orange bowl last year. Just sort of looking up at a, at a hotel TV and be like, well, that's done by the end of the first quarter. It's 28 nothing. Yeah. Well, I, I will say, though, to me, that there's a big difference, though. I mean, I, it's Minnesota is not on the talent level of Auburn, but this Minnesota team is a lot more talented than that Purdue team was last year. I'll agree, for sure. Because t- yes. that Purdue team was uh, Rondell Moore and figured mm-hmm. out on offense – when this time you've got Rashad Bateman, Tyler Johnson, Tanner Morgan, those are three NFL players right there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, elsewhere in coaching news, uh, official Mike Norvell to Florida State, that was announced. We talked about it a little bit Saturday night in our Reacts pod. Lane Kiffin to Ole Miss. 
Um, kissing babies. Kissing babies. I I just but Kiffin and uh, Sam Pittman have made uh, this college football talker uh, very happy about the way that things have turned out for us in the SEC. I don't know. Do you guys agree with me here? You know, that video was funny last night with him kissing the baby. Even Lynn saw it, and she was like, she's like, wow, they're treating Lane Kiffin like he's the governor. And I'm like, oh, honey, he's way more powerful than the governor. (laughs) But but the best part of the video wasn't the kissing the baby. I mean, y'all saw what the the guy who handled the baby said, right? Yes. He he was like, uh, you got to get you a burner phone. Did did you see that? (laughs) No. That is Ole Miss, like to a T. Like they they love it. They embrace it. They're like, come on down, man. Hey, just get you a burner phone. You know, do, do, do all the dirt you want. Just get you a burner phone. I don't know why I just have like this vision of Lane Kiffin hanging out in the Grove before games. Not, not in the locker room game planning, just walking around the Grove with a red solo cup. <laughs> he might. That's it. Do, does Ole Miss do a champion's walk or something along those lines? Because I think that's about to get rerouted just through all the best tailgating tents. Dude, that place is going to be have lane fever. It's going to be amazing. That, so, and that's the... I'm glad that you mentioned that, Barton, because I didn't even... like. I thought the, the burner phone joke was... You know, just just ha ha ha, Lane Kiffin. I was like, oh, and I just remembered as you re- repeated it because Hugh Freeze got caught on the phone. Right. Yeah. Right. No, remember yeah. That? <laughs> and, and I don't even think, like I don't even think the like the the old Miss fan that said that to him as he was taking his baby back. I don't even think he was really saying it as a joke. No. As much as he was just saying like, hey, just. Just, you know, almost like a little, hey, word of advice down here. Just get a burger phone. Man. Right. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Just don't be doing it on the school issued cell phone. Oh, oh man. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Very, very, very pleased with the way that these SEC West uh, job hires have gone so but far. There's going to be a lot of, um, so this is the fun part of the carousel because there's going to be a lot of, uh, coordinate like now some of the big jobs have been taken so so the head coaching moves have been made but you got like old dominion is is open with guys like ricky ronnie the offensive coordinator for um penn state getting mentioned with that and you know colorado state uh is 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 an appealing job for a lot of these coordinator types uh you know graham harrell's interviewed at unlv i assume he won't take that it's probably more of a texas uh, or, or usc deal for him um you know, Memphis is, is a really attractive job. Jeff Scott, have we talked about him? Yeah, he just got the USF job, the co-OC mm-hmm. at, at Clemson. So the 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 coordinator carousel, you know, App State's now open. That's going to be a prime job that a lot of coordinators will want. I remember Josh Gaddis was mentioned with that last year, this time around. So uh, there, there's, there's a lot of carousel intrigue still out there. Do you have any? Um, I I lean on you a little bit more from for being connected to that cycle of things. Do you have any notion, or is there any one uh, particular coach or spot that you're looking at? Is would is Kendall Bryles going to be in the mix for FAU to replace Lane? Sounds like he's in the mix, but, but I think it's it sounds like he is in the mix for FAU and Ole Miss's OC job. Oh. So uh, I don't know if those are his two options or if there's more but that those seem to be certainly two options for him do you have a, a notion like is there any one assistant or one job that you're particularly interested in to keep an eye on uh well 
Yes, I mean, no. Um, I think Memphis is really interesting um, because, you know, it's for a while it seemed like Ryan Silverfield, uh, the, the offensive line coach there, was going to be a good candidate to just fill in and replace. But that's such an appealing job now, and there's a, uh, a relatively new AD there that uh, that's going to be highly coveted. So I think there's a few other coordinators types in there. Uh, and, and obviously Ryan Silverfield, who's been really good on the offensive line, is pretty critical for Mike Norvell in building up that t- terrible Florida State offensive line. So that, I think that'll be a, uh, an interesting domino to see how that falls. Um, again, I think Colorado State is one of the more appealing group of five jobs out there as well. Um, you know, so I'm, I, there, there's a few, there's definitely, you know, like Jeff Halfley, um, is, is getting mentioned for Boston college a lot. He's the, the D coordinator at Ohio state that has, you know, really turned things around for that program. I mean, there's just some, like, it's, it's, it's less interesting to me who gets these jobs and more interesting if Ohio state has to fill its D coordinator spot or does it go? Like if, um, Ricky Ronnie, if Ricky Ronnie left Penn state, that would seem significant to me. If, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out now, what I like where I think Clemson is. I think Clemson without Jeff Scott, they're losing a, a great coach and somebody who's been really important in building the the identity of that entire program. And I I could be wrong about that, but is was Jeff Scott the primary Tampa area recruiter? Like was it pretty was it that cut and dry? I think so. I mean, he's certainly a guy that did a lot of work in Florida. I, I I'm not off the top of my head, I'm not sure if he was the Tampa specifically, but he I mean what Jeff's like Think about Clemson's wide receivers. Think about the the wide receiver room at Clemson over the last however long Jeff Scott's been there. Oh, I mean, take it back to Sammy Watkins. He, he's been phenomenal at recruiting, identifying, developing those guys. And so I think this is – I mean, and Tony Elliott is still – I may have even seen Tony Elliott's name brought up with FAU. Um, so, I mean, look, Chad uh, – Dabo Sweeney has – has weathered Chad Morris's departure as an offensive coordinator before. And I wouldn't think Jeff's the, 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 the dynasty done crumble because Jeff Scott leaves, but you know, if Tony Scott leaves or if Tony Elliott leaves also now you got both your, your co-coordinators gone. And you know, then, then again, you talk about the challenges that Kirby's facing Jeff, you know, Dabo Sweeney's facing those challenges as well. Um, what if he just brings Chad Morris back? Please don't. Hey, <laughs> he's could be chad morris is like all right guys i got i got an idea all right i've been working on it for a while what do you guys think about going up tempo <laughs> it's a new idea it's, we're just going to try to spread the wide receivers out and we're going to play with pace i think no one's going to be ready for it <laughs> speaking of that mike norvell had mike mike norvell's presser was was pretty pretty strong so we're gonna have to. I'm, I'm gonna start compiling my presser uh, clips and my presser report card. Uh, but Mike Norvell talked about going fast, but playing smart. Like playing smart, I think he knew he was speaking directly to the Florida State fans that playing smart was gonna be a priority over playing fast because Florida State has not played smart over the last few years. No, they've ranked like outside the top 110 in penalties. I think uh, each of the last couple of years. Tom, you got your eyes on any uh, any jobs or any any assistant movement? Uh, I mean, I'm interested in the, there's what there's one Power Five job open still. Boston College. So 
Yeah, so I'm interested to see what Boston College does there. I, I, I Like we talked about, and like Barton was saying, I think Halfley's probably going to end up being the name there, or somebody from Ohio State. And I think, you know, it's I, – I don't think – I think we've gone through the most interesting part of the carousel. This is this is going to be – there's there's going to be plenty to keep track of and, you know, kind of not be boring because there is like, – like Barton was just going through all the potential coordinators moving around and the kind of moves we're going to see that are going to have an impact. But I think as far as the quote-unquote sexy portion of the carousel, that's finished at this point. I think – Yeah, that, it's for now it's time for the football nerds to get on here and, and – and talk with us about the the real nitty gritty of the coaching carousel. Hey, that's 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 how the teams are put together. That's how the teams are ready for Saturday, no doubt. And uh, let Josh Gaddis and Mike Loxley say it: everyone takes part in the game planning, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, we will be back later this week. A little bit of a preview. We, of course, we're going to be looking ahead to uh, Army Navy. You can see that on CBS on Saturday. Um, we've got a Heisman Trophy voter. That is uh, one of the co-hosts of this podcast. So we will. I don't think you're allowed to reveal your ballot, but when are you allowed to? When are you allowed to let us in to inside your world, Tom? After the award is announced. Are you oh, Are you willing to talk process? Uh, like right now? No, but oh. like <laughs> yeah, I'll talk process. Okay, but... all right. Well, we're gonna um we're gonna discuss the CBS Sports All America team, and so maybe within that we get a, li- a few Heisman nuggets, and then afterwards, uh, we'll, we can find out Tom's ballot when we circle back after the uh, trophy is awarded to Joe Burrow. Um, all right, you can. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> You're making some assumptions there, sir. I am. I, I'm. I'm. I'm calling it. Uh, this is a Marcus Mariota year. No questions. The only questions are uh, who else is going to be invited. You can follow nor deny. He can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Deserve. Stage kicks off Tuesday on CBS All Access. There's nothing like it.